0: ranks are a diverse group of sea slugs that are found all over the world. They are gorgeous with brilliant colors, they are unique in their predatory and food strategies, and what's most relevant for this podcast episode have some very interesting reproductive strategies.
1: That's right, another episode focusing on sex in the sea. Welcome back to our Ocean Lovin' series.
0: As usual, we must ask that those with young children listen to this episode before sharing it with them. And now, let's waste no time and dive into this episode of ocean Science, ocean Science Radio. Welcome back to Ocean Science Radio, the podcast that brings you the latest, greatest, and sometimes deepest stories in the ocean. I'm shark scientist, aquanaut, and overall badass nerd, Francis Faribault.
1: And I'm ocean and climate communications gunslinger, Andrew Cornblatt this episode, we will be highlighting one of my favorite order of animals, nudibranch. Specifically, how these animals get it on. With that, let's bring back our special guest host for our Ocean Lovin' series, Skylar Bear.
2: Thanks, it's great to be back. There are over 2,000 known species of nudibranchs, and new ones are being identified almost daily. What brings them together is a common ancestry, but to really dive into that side of things we should introduce Vanessa.
3: My name is Vanessa Knutson, and I'm a PhD candidate in the Organismic and Evolutionary Biology Department at Harvard University. And I study the evolution of and the evolutionary relationships among different groups of gastropods, specifically different groups of sea slugs and snails. What I'm primarily interested in, in not just nudibranchs, but also a lot of their relatives, is sort of how you have this evolution of the slug form, the slug body form. And the reason I'm interested in that is because I'm interested in convergent evolution. So I'm interested in how evolution produces the same sort of body type and look or morphology over and over again independently. And within gastropods, this is a really interesting question because the slug form has evolved multiple times independently. And what that means is you get essentially a loss, an evolutionary loss of the shell multiple times independently through the evolution of, of snails, gastropods. And so, what I'm interested in ultimately in the long term is sort of understanding what kind of genetic changes happened in order for these different groups to lose their shells and stop producing a shell in the adult
0: form. Basically, nudibranchs, at one point in their evolutionary history, were shelled like snails. Baby nudibranchs look like clear glass snails encased in a bubble. When the nudies reach their juvenile state, they twist out of their translucent shells and form into a slug shape. The how and possibly why this evolutionary trait happened is one of the things that Vanessa's studies focus on.
3: Literally, this is the subject of my whole PhD dissertation is sort of convergence in in losing the shell. So all of these different groups, they have a shell in as little babies in their larval stage. And then at some point they shed the shell and they continue to grow, you know, without a shell, like a typical snail. And so they become a slug. Yeah, basically, this is what I've been spending my last five and a half years thinking about. So, yeah, so it's happened several times independently, and that's what's really interesting throughout all gastropods. And if you were to take all of the main, you know, all of the gastropods alive today, we sort of subdivide them into maybe five-ish major groups, and one of those major groups is this clade that we call heterobranchia. And that's the clade that I study. And the reason I study that clade is because in this particular group of gastropods, the shell has been lost independently over and over and over again.
1: Before we get too much further, I want to bring in another speaker on nudies. Meet Lynn. Hi, my name is Lynn Bonomo, and
4: I am a student researcher at the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco, California. So, I work in the invertebrate zoology department and I recently graduated with my masters, but I research nudibranchs and those are a type of sea slug, so I do both molecular and morphological work on them. I stumbled upon them one day. I actually went to Monterey Bay Aquarium was the first time I saw a nudibranch in their aquarium and I kind of fell in love with them and that was way back when I was in middle high school and just slowly became obsessed with them over the years and then decided to pursue a marine biology degree and ended up here at the academy. I'm fascinated by a ton of different things. I'm fascinated they take in toxins, from their prey items. Some of them sequester nematocysts. They're super colorful. They have really weird um, reproductive strategies from a lot of other species. They also have really interesting ways that they feed and they feed on a wide variety of prey. I'm kind of fascinated by all aspects of nudibranchs (laughs) and kind of just find them super interesting of how they've developed over the years to become this way.
1: One thing that i mentioned earlier was that nudibranchs and sea slugs are some of my favorite animals in the ocean to the fact that i actually ordered these enamel pins of one of my favorite species the glaucus atlanticus which basically looks like a blue living spaceship
4: glaucus especially glaucus atlanticus which is the one that's most widespread in the pacific ocean is one of the most fascinating nudibranchs out there because it is pelagic, which means that it actually does swim in the open water and it floats actually upside down on the surface of the water. And then it feeds on, of all things, one of the most painful stings I've heard. I have not been stung yet, but it feeds on Portuguese man of wars. And then they're super cool looking. They're bright blue. Um, I call them the blue sea dragons, which tends to be one of their common names. And the fact that they can even eat Portuguese man of wars, and then in addition, take the stinging cells that the Portuguese man of wars have and sequester them in the tips of their little like serrata like appendages on their, I guess, what you would call fingers if you're looking at them from a human standpoint, and then use those as their own defense mechanisms. I'm just blown away by their ability to do that. I think they're fascinating to look at.
1: And like the Glaucus atlanticus, which appropriates these stingers from its food, other animals like the ridiculously cute sea sheep have similar strategies. With the sea sheep, it will steal the chloroplast from the algae it eats so that it can photosynthesize. Let's go back to Vanessa.
3: The first thing I'll point out is that the second individual that you mentioned is actually not a true nudibranch. And because I'm a, a taxonomist, partly, you know, I have my little taxonomy pet peeves. So, true nudibranchs are a clade that has a common ancestor and all of its descendants. And the glaucus that you mentioned and the, the Pikachu looking nudibranch, those are both true nudibranchs that belong to the group nudibranchia. The sea sheep. Or Costaciella as the genus is actually a different group of slugs. So as I was mentioning before, you have this convergence of the slug body form or the of the evolution of shell loss. And that's actually in another group that has independently lost the shell. So that's one of the things that um, I find really interesting and relevant to your question is you really do have all of this diversity, but in some cases, that diversity that might look similar to each other evolved in totally different you know, groups or lineages.
2: This is known as convergent evolution, where two or more independent and not closely related species will evolve similar morphology, form, or even behaviors independently. It is always a super fascinating phenomenon to study.
3: So that's really interesting. It happens in other groups of gastropods too, but it hasn't happened as frequently as it has within heterobranchias. So I figure there must be something special about this particular group that enables them to be able to lose the shell independently or in their evolutionary history. So that's a really interesting thing for me. And beyond that, even after losing the shell, there are some cases where you'll get similar body forms evolving
0: Similar body forms, such as the spiky serrata, that so many aileid nudibranchs and other gastropods have.
3: The type of nudibranch that glaucus is that has all of those like finger-like structures on the body, we call those serrata. And that is independently evolved compared to the finger-like structures that you get in the sea sheep, Costacella. So that's really cool convergence Event there because it's a very similar morphology, but it it evolved independently. And to to add another interesting story to your repertoire, there there's um in nudibranchs there are also some other species that can retain the symbiotic algae from the the corals and and other relatives that they eat. So some nudibranchs, proper nudibranchs, actually have algal symbionts in those serrata that they got from their food as well.
0: Nudies, and sea slugs in general, capture the fascination of many researchers for a number of reasons. But for Lynn, one thing in particular captures her fancy, and that is very relevant to our ocean-loving conversation here.
4: One of the fascinating things about them is that they're hermaphroditic, which means that they have both a vagina and a penis, so the male and female parts at the same time. So they're simultaneous hermaphrodites, which means that they can produce both sperm and eggs anytime that they're sexually mature. And so this means when they mate with one another, they actually both take sperm from the other one and then store the sperm and can also produce eggs from that. They're one of the many hermaphroditic species in the oceans that exist.
1: For Vanessa, her work focused on one particular species.
3: During my master's, I decided to work on the genus Gymnodorus, and I was interested in that group because there was a lot of undescribed diversity in that genus. So there's a lot of undescribed species, and I've been working a bit on trying to name and describe those. Uh, and also interested in them because of their diet. So a lot of nudibranchs feed on prey that is sort of stationary, stays in one place, it's sessile. And Gymnodorus is this genus that has evolved to be sort of an active predator, has to hunt down its prey because it's feeding on other sea slugs. Whereas, again, the relatives feed on things that are kind of just hunkered down in one place, like corals or bryozoans, sponges, things like that. And so I'm interested in how that kind of behavior evolves and how the different diets have evolved in that genus. So that's why I was interested in studying that particular genus, Gymnodorus.
2: These species are found primarily in the tropical Indo-Pacific and, as Vanessa mentioned, are super slug predators. They feed primarily on nudibranchs and other sea slugs, including their own species.
3: So they are proper cannibals. In one particular species, Gymnodorus citrina, they have been documented to actually eat their mates while mating, which is a really interesting thing. The photos are funny to look at. And some of my colleagues in Japan have actually studied this behavior in more detail. They actually have some really neat video footage that I saw at a conference a few years back. And it's been documented in the literature quite a few decades ago. And it's just a really cool story.
0: It is the fact that these animals are hermaphrodites and participate in this particular behavior that piqued Vanessa's curiosity in Gymnodorus.
3: I think one of the really interesting questions with respect to reproduction is sort of, at least for me with this genus Gymnodorus, is is how does something like sexual cannibalism evolve in a species that is a hermaphrodite? Because at least in my experience, when you hear about sexual cannibalism, a lot of the, at least the anecdotal stories that you hear about are things like, you know, female spiders feeding on male spiders, after copulation, or something like a, a mantid, like a praying mantis. So I find it interesting to think about it in the case where you have a hermaphrodite, like a nudibranch, like Gymnodora citrina, feeding on, you know, other members of the same species while mating, you know, who who eats whom? Is it the bigger individual that eats the smaller individual? Is it something else going on? And how does something like that evolve? So it's certainly something that I've thought about, but it's not really part of my research.
1: Now, let's shift topics to the subject of some particular importance to reproduction in these sea slugs, nudibranch penises.
0: Nudibranchs procreate through sexual reproduction. But being hermaphrodites with very diverse morphology and behaviors, there are many ways that these creatures get it on. Here's Lynn.
4: Uh, Nudibranchs, because they're hermaphroditic, they actually have the same opening for their penis and their vagina for most species, which basically means they take their penis and stick it in the opposite nudibranch's receptacle, and then they exchange their sperm that way.
0: This particular process of copulation is known as hypodermic injection, but less clinically and more colorfully, it's often called penis fencing.
1: It's a battle.
0: But being nudibranchs, the reproductive
2: curiosities don't end with hermaphroditism. Things get a bit more um, prickly. They do actually have sex. And in some cases,
3: the, the penis of the slugs uh, can be covered in spines. And so one really interesting story is about the nudibranch species Gonubranchus reticulatus, or you might see it as Chromodoris reticulata, and it has a spiny penis like a lot of nudibranchs do, but some researchers have actually shown that they use the spiny penis to remove sperm from, you know, competing slugs, so previous matings from their partner. And so they use the spines to remove the sperm and those slugs actually detach their, their penis and dispose of it. And then within 24 hours, they can regenerate their a new penis essentially and go on to mate again. So that's a really interesting story uh, within reproduction of nudibranchs.
1: That's right, an incredible detachable and regenerating phallus. Let's take it back to Lynn for a unique perspective on this phenomenon.
4: The group that I study actually is Ganyobranchus. It has a species, Ganyobranchus reticulatus, that has a really interesting penis. The penis is disposable, aka it falls off and regrows within 24 hours after mating. So this is really interesting because it's the first time it's been seen in a nudibranch. And a study was undertaken back in 2013, where they took several individuals of ganiobrynchus reticulatus into the lab, and those researchers observed this mating behavior and tested several times to see how fast reticulatus grew their penis back, and if this happened each time they had mated. So the researchers discovered that the penis actually had backward-facing pointed spines on it, And these were observed to help scoop out any previous mate's sperm masses. So basically a clump of sperm that's all grouped together. And this is a really fascinating mechanism for the nudibranch because it basically ensures that their genetic material is the only material that's kept inside of their mate. And so the previous mate's sperm is removed from the receptacle and then after moving away the reticulatus discards its penis and regrows a new penis within the next 24 hours so it can mate again.
0: It's a reproductive strategy that makes sense. So long as regenerating the penis is not too energy intensive, the nudibranch is basically ensuring that their genetic material is kept in its mate and not lost. By the way, not the only animal with a detachable penis. I
4: talked about the spines on the penis being used to scoop out the sperm before, and this is not the only species of nudibranchs that have spines on their penises. And in fact, several other species also have spines within their vaginas as well.
1: And don't you worry, Lynn is here to tell you all about those spiny bits.
4: So the spines, I can talk about those a little bit. They're made out of chitin, so they're chitinous spines. Um, And they're actually not used to damage as much as they're used to keep the two nudibrigs connected during, um, in areas with a lot of water movement. So think of a high current or in the intertidal area where there's waves crashing and everything. So this is a way to keep the two nudibrigs attached throughout um, copulation. And then when they're able to, when they're done copulating, they can then move apart. Yeah, it's almost like a Velcro-type thing, except I would encourage nobody to look up pictures of the spines because they're kind of terrifying-looking, because they're super magnified, and they're just these little sharp bunches on stuff, and if you zoom in on them, they're actually kind of terrifying. It looks like a monster or something coming at you, so...
1: Oh, I'm sure our loyal listeners are totally not looking up those images right now, because reasons.
0: Let's take it back to Vanessa for a little bit more about the unknowns of these structures and reproductive cannibalism.
3: I found a study that was talking about some aeolid nudibranchs. So the type that have the serrata, the finger-like appendages on the back, that while mating, the partners will actually start consuming the serrata off of each other and they have a penis with a a stylet or a spine. And on this spine, there's also a glandular structure that we don't really know exactly what that does, but they actually pierce each other with this stylet while mating. So that's a really wild mating interaction. Similarly, but in a different group again, of sea slugs called the gastropods. some of my favorites. These ones have been studied quite a bit and they have a penis that is bipartite. There's two parts to it. And essentially one part acts as, again, like a spine. And in at least one species, what happens is while they're mating, so one, part of this bipartite penis will end up sort of injecting into the head of the partner and secreting fluids. And so it's been postulated that these fluids might actually be affecting the subsequent behaviors of the the recipient. Which is a really crazy thing. So imagine, you know, you're you're mating with your other slug mate, and they basically stab you in the forehead and inject some mind control serum. <laughs> you know, like that's a really sensational way to say that, but that's that's kind of what it I what it looks like. I do not
1: want to be imagining that. No, thank you. A lot
3: of these studies are still really pre- preliminary, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting biology still to discover in sea slugs. But so far, there's some pretty wild behaviors.
2: But the arguably cute courtship behaviors don't just end with mind-controlling penile injection. Back to Lynn. There's a lot of courtship behaviors that can actually be undertaken
4: that have been observed in the wild. So you would think slugs are like a one-and-done, just give each other the sperm, move on with life. But there's actually several cases of them fighting with one another, biting one another, rubbing against each other, nuzzling. And some of these behaviors can last up to 30 minutes before they actually go through with the actual sex portion of the breeding. And so this varies between species. And then there's also what's known as mating chains or daisy chains, where you can kind of have multiple, so it's three or more individuals who connect to one another and are exchanging their genetic material or their genetic parts of the sperm. And so it will start with one pretending to be a female. And then the last one's a male and everybody in between is acting as both a female and a male at the same time. And so you can kind of get this circle or ball of nudibranchs all together who are exchanging this genetic material all together in a little ball in the ocean.
0: So, in these reproductive sessions, is there rhyme or reason to who mates with whom? Is it a free-for-all? What are we talking about?
4: Usually it's a one-to-one ratio, but I do believe that they also pass around and change the order some of the time as well within those balls and stuff. So you can be mating with multiple individuals at once, but usually if it's just a change, they're just passing between one and the other. So it's seen within some hypsilodorus nudibranchs, which are part of the really colorful chromodorids. And then it happens a lot with sacoglossums, which is a closely related group to nudibranchs, which are the sap-sucking slugs. So both of those undertake this, like, daisy chain mating chains, and it's only certain species within those groups.
1: And why exactly are these nudibranch sex balls happening? Are these species just sexually adventurous and get overwhelmed by it all, or is there a deeper strategy involved?
4: Some people think that this is due to the fact that because these slugs are smaller, it's hard to find slugs on a reef just in terms of the size of them compared with fish and other organisms. But if a group finds, they're like, oh, this is a chance to mate and exchange genetic material because almost every single neuter brink, they only reproduce sexually. So they have to exchange genetic material in order to reproduce. So it's kind of like, here's my chance to get as much genetic material and get my genetic material out there as possible. And so they kind of create this like mating ball or chain or however you want to call it in order to exchange their information with as much people as possible.
2: And with all of that copulation, we have to talk about the offspring, particularly the dazzling and delicate structures that are nudibranch egg clutches. So
3: once you have mating, the eggs get fertilized and the slugs, if it was a reciprocal mating, both slugs would then be able to lay an egg mass. And nudibranchs lay really beautiful egg masses most of the time. A lot of them will produce spiral egg masses that sort of sit on a substrate, sometimes just out in the open. So you can just kind of, if you're scuba diving, you can go see them or if you're snorkeling.
0: These are really beautiful waving structures that come in an array of bright colors and an intricate maze of shapes. And we're talking massive amounts of eggs. Here's Lynn.
4: They can lay thousands to some sea hairs, which are closely related, can lay up to 25 million eggs at one time. And so these eggs then develop into different larval types, most of them being villager larvae, which then are dispersed by currents. But they can be direct developers, meaning that they have from the eggs hatched little
3: miniature juvenile nudibranchs of that same species.
0: Back to Vanessa for more.
3: And they can be really beautiful, bright colors. Sometimes they can be, you know, bright red or pink. Sometimes they're white. Oftentimes, these eggs will change color as they're developing. And once they are finished developing, they will hatch. And a lot of species will have a little larva that hatches out, and that larva will spend some time floating around in the water column, possibly eating in the water column and once it's ready to move on from that phase, you know, that phase of its life, it will find a place to settle and come down. It will then shed its larval shell and, you know, be a little juvenile slug and continue growing and growing until it's able to reproduce as well. In some cases, the nudibranchs may not spend time in the plankton or less time in the plankton and they may develop more directly in that they'll hatch out of their egg as a juvenile and crawl away at that point.
1: And once these puppies burst forth from their eggs, do the parents take the tiny sea slugs under their fleshy, arm-like bodies, or are they just on their own?
3: Once they have hatched, there's no parental care, although I did see in one review that apparently there's one species that will guard its egg mass. So that's interesting. But in general, aside from that, there's no parental care once these things have hatched.
2: This episode has been jam-packed full of information and really, we only just scratched the surface.
1: Yeah, I could have chatted with Vanessa and Lynn for hours about these Pokemon of the sea.
2: Yeah, um, I love
3: talking about nudibranchs <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and sea slugs. The whole clade. I mean, that's they're just really cool animals, um, and I think that you know, after studying them for ten years or more than ten years at this point, there's just a lot of really cool things that I think people are would be interested in. So. Yeah, happy to chat. And there's one more thing. Really quickly, I will say that there are some nudibranchs that live in the Antarctic that lay eggs that are estimated to take something like nine years to develop. So um, that's something worth following up on too.
0: And like the other species we've covered, really the lasting lesson is that we can always learn so much more. The proverbial books are not closed on nudibranchs.
3: You know, there are a lot of really interesting behaviors out there that are still totally open for investigation, right? We just have barely scratched the surface of what these animals are doing um, and how they behave because. There's still so many species that don't even have scientific names yet and that are out there still to be discovered or still sitting on a museum shelf waiting for someone to come describe them. So I think it's just it's the possibilities for learning about these really cool animals is sort of endless.
2: And Lynn has a special message for our listeners about this order of animals.
4: A lot of times people, when they see these, they're like, why are nudibranchs important? Like they're really cute and colorful. Most of them people think they're they're really fascinating, but they're like, the two most co- common questions are, why are these important? And then two, can I eat them? Which are two drastically different outlooks at stuff. Nudibranchs I find are super important. They are often indicators of the quality and diversity of health in their environment. So nudibranchs tend to be very specific to um, the type of prey they have, of what they eat, um, of water temperature, of pH, and that sort of thing. And they actually indicate a healthier reef if you have a diverse amount of those for within coral reefs and that sort of stuff. So I think it's very important to not just think of them as these cute creatures that exist, but that they can indicate with presence or absence or the amount of them if an ecosystem is healthy. And actually some of them have been used to study climate change in terms of the shifting of species within climate change. And that they are more than the cute little squishy creatures that are fun to look at, that they actually have an important part in the ecosystem.
1: I feel like we covered a lot in this episode, from mind-controlling spiny penis injections to giant daisy change sex balls to elaborate structures of countless eggs. This has been a really robust Ocean Lovin' episode.
0: And with the close of the episode, we need to thank our intrepid special co-host for making this journey with us. Thank you again, Skylar. Thank you. It
2: has been a pleasure, and I look forward to next time. I also want to offer thanks to our guests, Vanessa Knudsen and Lynn Bonomo, for joining us today.
1: And special thanks to you, our listeners. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. It really helps us get the word out and continue to produce amazing content, like episodes covering spidey nudibronk penises.
0: Until next time, this has been a special Ocean Lovin' episode of
1: Ocean Ocean Science 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 Radio!
0: just the image of penis fencing i always just imagine like like a nudibranch three musketeer kind of like ding 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 with little rapiers
1: like d'artagnan and all that but tiny and slug-like
0: yes a little like feathered hat